My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have my very good friends Nazar Bati and Mariko Kantli on the show. Nazar is from Ukraine, and I just want to say before we start that our thoughts are with Nazar, his family and friends, and all those impacted by the terrible atrocities that are happening in Ukraine as we're recording this podcast. Nazar and Mariko are champion professional ballroom dancers based in Boston, Massachusetts. Dancing together for 10 years, they are two times United States Ballroom Showdance champions, World Ballroom Showdance silver medalists, and three times World Ballroom Showdance finalists. In 2009, Nazar was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. At that time, most dancers and athletes with this diagnosis gave up their vocation. Instead, Nazar decided to start competing professionally. Nazar and Mariko described their goal as to make the world of ballroom dance more inclusive and build a supportive community of fellow ballroom dance nerds. I adore these two people who are driven, committed, passionate about their craft and determined to make a difference in this world. I know you'll enjoy hearing about their story. Nazar and Mariko, welcome to the Unlock Moment. Hello, thank you for having us. We're really happy to be here and to be able to spend some time with you, Gary. Hi, thank you for having us again. Yeah, and um, to spend time with you and thank you for mentioning again Ukraine with a tough time right now. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So so let's start out. Um, tell us a little bit about your your background. Maybe Marika, start start with, you know, where did you start dancing and what was your journey to, to become the professional dancer that you are today? I started dancing at the age of five, just as many five-year-olds do. Just dance seems awesome. Um, and over the years, I grew to love it more and more. Um, my family is very academic. Um, every person in my immediate, immediate family has a Harvard degree. <laughs> so that wasn't like a conventional path in, in the environment where I grew up. Um, and so I did end up um, going to college. I got my Harvard degree. And um, while I was there, I discovered ballroom dancing. So after having done ballet for most of my childhood, quite seriously, I discovered ballroom. I thought it was just everything. I mean, it was glamorous. It was sexy. It was cool. It was different. It was competitive. It was all this cool stuff. And so I, while I was there I at, in school, I danced more and more seriously. And my senior year, actually, I turned professional and have been teaching and competing professionally since then. And that's sort of how I ended up here. And, and how common is that to, to turn professional as a dancer after college? Not super common, but not, you know, 
completely unheard of. And I think increasingly um, there are people like me who came out of university um, dance teams who decided to go into that as their profession. So it's getting it's getting more common. And at, at that time, what was it that made you think this is this is my career ahead of me? Um, well, uh, it was a combination of the fact that I had that was my childhood dream. Like you know, as a as a twelve year old, I wanted to be a professional ballerina and I wanted to, to dance professionally. And my role models were largely dancers and dance teachers. And when I got to university, even going to a place with as many kind of incredible opportunities and things to see and and learn about as Harvard, there was n- frankly nothing there <laughs> that I found more interesting to do than that. And that was kind of like the what sort of set my resolve. Like, well, if there's nothing here that's as attractive to me as dance, then I should probably try being a professional dancer. And it, it was a side hustle alongside a, a day job or, or your full-time thing when you graduated? It was, I for maybe about a year, I had um, two day jobs. I worked for the ballet company that I trained with growing up, doing kind of like fundraising stuff for them. And I worked for an architect doing um, basically model building and stuff. Um, you know, they were just kind of like normal office jobs. But within a year, I basically switched over to teaching full time um, and just just being a professional dancer. It's, it's all grown from there. Yep. <laughs> so Nazar, tell us about your your upbringing and how you came to dance. Um, as you have said before, I um, I was born and raised, uh, as you mentioned before, in Ukraine, um, city called Lviv. It's the western part of Ukraine. Uh, there was a little studio around the corner near the house and um, my mom decided that maybe he should start dancing versus my dad wanted me to be a soccer player uh, yeah but um, but you know they brought me in when I was five into the studio and I loved it and and you know it took over my I would say my entire life right I I was I was dancing until um, until my teenage years like about 18, 19 years old. The same time when I finished uh, high school after that, I went to university because, you know, at home as everyone, if you want to have a, you know, future, you have to finish uh, university. You have to have a high education. So I finished uh, veterinarian school. And after that, after I finished veterinarian school, I, I was still, I was still dancing, but not as competing, just, you know, uh, teaching kids. But then I got opportunity. I was invited by United States of America to move here and teach here in the studio and franchise studios. So I, I took that opportunity and moved here. And then since 2006, um, I am living and working here in the United States. And you've got a family here as well in, in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, I do have family. I have wife. I have son. Um, he is now six years old, and so yeah, we we all here. But uh, they are they have my my wife is American, so so. And it was when you came over to the states you'd you'd already been here for a little while before you were diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was um, I was diagnosed with diabetes uh, in two thousand nine, and uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, I was I was living here already, and then you know, no one knows why it happened. 
for what reason but you know there's a lot of speculation by the me- medical doctors like you know it could be a stress could be like changing of environments and stuff and yeah. what was the journey that you went through at that time to decide what happened next i mean i described in the introduction there, there was a pivot point where you 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 were thinking about do i quit or do i uh, well, I think, yeah, I'd say, I'd say actually, this you said you said it quite right. Like it was a turning point for me. Like you know what, Nazar, I, you have to go and continue dancing because I have heard so many people, uh, like athletes, you know, they being diagnosed with diabetes and they they quit simply saying like, well, I I won't be able to do it. For me, it was opposite. I was kind of you know what, it was kind of an eye opening. No, I actually do it opposite. I'll go and uh, show people that actually you can do it, and you have to do that. No, don't, nothing has to stop you. Mm. And you built it. Sorry, American. I'm going to say that's like a classic Nazar behavior. He does not like to be told that he can't do something, and then and he's very very stubborn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and just bring bring to life for for the listeners. What does it mean? as a professional dancer to be diabetic what what do you, how does that affect you on a day-to-day basis well it's um it's constant monitoring your sugar levels constant monitoring what you eat when you eat uh being on top of the you know meditating so or just trying to bring because each stress level brings your sugar uh high and then if you have a high sugar then it can affect on your body can have effect on your body but at the same time you don't want to be too low because when you're competing or practicing uh if you get in too low you also can faint on you can get in the hospital so it's just kind of constant like it's a change of life in the sense of um before you thought like well I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And now you have something else that you have to monitor and you have to be on top of that mm. and not, not let it be, you know, like not let it be on the way, even though it's still constantly on being on, on your way. Right. Yeah. And and how intensive is the training as a professional dancer? So, you know, that training that you're having to balance, you know, your sugar levels with what, what what's a typical day look like, you know, when you're training for a big competition? A typical day, it's... Um, we kind of have like, I would say there's there's no such thing as a typical day, but we have <laughs> multiple types of days. So we have our ideal training days, which involve um, a couple of hours in the studio practicing, either doing technical practice or where we kind of run through things like competition simulation, um, some kind of cross training. So depending on what we need to work on, we've done, you know, we've done running, we've done fitness training, strength training, yoga, whatever, whatever done boxing, we need. boxing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever we need at that time. And then, so about half of our day is spent on that. And then half of the day we spend teaching. So, um, Nazar has students that he teaches and dances with and competes with as well. Um, and then we have couples that we teach, um, where you know we they dance with each other um and then a lot there's a lot of logistical stuff so we travel a lot our coaches are all over the place we have coaches in new jersey which is about a four-hour drive from our studio where we where we train we have teachers in italy we have teachers in london we can now because thanks to (laughs) thanks to covid um 
we have all figured out how to do Zoom lessons. So it's coordinating all of that. So a good chunk of our time is also spent trying to get from place to place and yeah. and not only physical coordinate. physical work, but also like coordinating and yeah. mental work in that sense as yeah. well. Strategizing. Yeah. <laughs> and and then and then bring to life what does competition look like for a professional dancer in terms of again sort of the intensity what the, what those days look like when you're at a big competition so for a big competition the biggest events are basically full day events so you i mean for us that means we start um they obviously start preparing months in advance but that's, we yeah that's physical training months in advance yeah. that's the um mechanical training that's all of that that you can survive also the whole then that whole day event like to dance it and as well yeah as well as Mariko saying and then um you know you sort of are thoughtful about getting enough sleep the night before what you're going to eat in the morning what you, are you going to eat night before what you're going to eat the night before yeah make sure that all of your costumes and everything all of your snacks especially for Nazar it's super important that we have like snacks that are going to help him regulate his sugar um one big like shift for us was um, finding a, a, an electrolyte product that didn't have any kind of sweetener or sugar in it um, so that he can hydrate but not have it influence his blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're doing rounds over the course of the day. So you cut, you warm up and then you dance your first round of five dances and then oftentimes with the break between each dance, then maybe an hour later, you do the second round after you get recalled and then you repeat. And then hopefully you do that for, you know, a total of maybe six or seven hours to make it all the way into the finals. And then you go home, have a glass of champagne and pass out. And I understand this because, you know, as, as people know that, you know, I was also a professional dancer, but for, for listeners that that don't really understand the dance world, I think it's help to bring that to life a bit because you know if you think about things like i don't know you know olympic athletics or something you know where people run 100 meters in 9.9 seconds and then come back the next day and do it again um Mm -hmm. in the dance world your first round might be at nine o'clock in the morning and then you might do you know seven rounds through the course of the day and and do your final at at 10 p.m at night Uh, right gary this uh we can start at 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, the first round, yeah, and the second round could be at 12, midday, but the last round of the same day event is happening, as you said, 10 p.m. or we 11. We dance at 1 in the morning. Yeah, we dance in 11, in 1 o'clock in the morning by starting also at 12, 12 in the afternoon. So it just, it's just it's the whole day, and you think it's just... It's not like, yeah, I mean, it's it's also tough to be an Olympic athlete who's a runner. You run nine seconds and you have rest till next day. But at the same time, we have the same <laughs> nine seconds running through from nine o'clock in the morning to <laughs> to to mid midnight sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and you said that you trained, you know, in the US, in the UK, and in in Italy. So you're doing a lot of traveling around and planning to do that. And I think that brings us into um, the beginnings of 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 what you're describing here is is your unlock moment. So bring us into this 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 particular moment that you want to talk about, this this moment of clarity that you found at a certain point in your dance career together? So for a little kind of lead into the, we started dancing together in 2012. And we, one of the things that definitely brought us together was that we um, shared an idea of like what we wanted our dancing to be individually. And our, we shared, um, we had the same sort of model 
couple that we had looked up to and admired as as dancers and competitors, and their names are William Pino and Alessandra Bucciarelli, and they are based in Italy. And for both of us, it had been a dream to be able to go and work with them. They had never, as far as we knew, come to the United States to teach or perf- I mean, they probably had, but maybe before we started dancing, they were not available mm. to us at all. And we knew we would have to go there to, to see them. We didn't even know how to contact them. Like we actually emailed <laughs> Gary's wife, Mildred, to ask if she had their email address. Um, and it took a long time just to contact them and then to schedule something and find a day to go. And, but it was just some, and it was kind of just like, well, that's just a moonshot. Like, it's just a dream that we've had and let's just do it because what the heck. And, um, and so we, we organized this trip. We were flying from nationals, nationals Nationals. that year there was nationals we flying and and we literally, it, as Mariko was saying, it took us like half a year to organize a trip to go and to have three lessons <laughs> with the people that we, never you know, met. never met. Like you fly <laughs> 10 hours to, to little town, Aprilia, Italy, right near the Rome, near Rome. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and, and just to have three lessons. And then I think as Mariko was going to say, like, you know, after we, we took, when we, when you get the first lesson, you know, when you got there, it's excitement. When you get the first lesson, you just like, oh, that's how it feels like it, you know. That's how it's supposed to be. That's that's what kind of information you should get. You know, that's, uh, it, that I think from both of us was kind of like, oh, shoot. That's, that's probably unlock moment as what we're talking right now about it. Just like realization what can be and what can happen and how can why it's like this right yeah yeah so you've flown to italy you're in that first lesson with them and they were saying something to you that changed your whole thinking about that yeah it's yeah i don't i mean yeah it's in the lesson you're in shock right (laughs) you you by that time i was dancing for quite a lot a long time uh we had been professionals, both of us, for six years by then, you know, like. I'm, yeah, that's probably more. Yeah, yes, yeah. about six, seven years, professionals, yeah. But then before that, I'm dancing already for, you know, another 15 years probably. And, then, you know, like when you just, when someone tells you something and you're like, well, I should have heard that before, like 15, 20 years ago. And you're like, hmm. What have I been doing? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was doing ballroom dancing, but. Uh... <laughs> I've been doing this yeah. whole time. Yeah. So I totally agree with Nazar. During the lesson, you're kind of, I mean, you it is sort of this shock. Like you're so excited to be in the flesh, like in in the presence, working with these people you've been dreaming of working with and watching on video. And the shock of the environment of the studio, just the whole energy of the space, but also what was going on around us, the other couples, what the atmosphere was like was completely different. Um, and the you're just, and then the information itself, like you're absorbing all of this stuff that's very new and, and you kind of can't assess what it is that's happening. But then afterwards we took the train back to Rome, which was where we were staying. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember sitting on this like Italian commuter train which is really nice. I yeah. Mean, don't 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 sound it like it's no, like a totally mean, commuter train. It's like this is like really kind of like mundane, like everyday environment. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And being so angry, I just was like overwhelmed with anger. <laughs> 
and and kind of thinking like, well, that's not how I expected to feel after this. I didn't expect to have this incredible experience that we'd planned and dreamed about and then feel really angry <laughs> afterwards. And, and, what, and what was the anger? And the anger is when we, we spent that 45 minute trip sort of talking about it because I was like, why am I so angry? And it was this sense of like, I think a lot of people have experienced this where you, you ha- the, the thing you wanted happens and you're just like, why didn't this happen before? Or why didn't I do this before? Or how have I been wasting my time? Or why didn't someone tell me about this? All of those things where you you feel kind of like the loss of what you could have had if you just had that experience yeah, earlier. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it like, an, yeah, it might, maybe it's not like why no one tell us tell us this way maybe they were telling us but we couldn't hear it or you could either we couldn't hear it or it was told the way that you know not being understandable mm-hmm. you know and it just like becomes like a little bit well it's much more simpler than some other people were telling us right mm-hmm. so that's interesting so you had a moment of clarity and it felt simple and because you got it you you understood mm-hmm. the essence of it very quickly yeah but you were angry in some way because it felt so simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually were just talking to one of our students about this recently, which was that, and as we talk about the unlock moment, sort of, you know, I'm thinking maybe this is part of it, um, that when you get to a certain point of, say, professionalism or, ex- or experience, to realize that there's like a whole other thing that you could be doing is a little bit... Um, it implies that like you haven't been doing it right, right? So it it sort of makes you feel like, oh, I'm I've been quote unquote failing, or there's something wrong with me that I haven't done it, and that's very disturbing and very um, destabilizing. And and I think you know it's a lot of people might under depending on the circumstances then resist that, right? You don't want to. It's you don't really want to realize that realizing that there's something else means that realizing that what you've been doing isn't quite it. <laughs> and, and that's not easy on the ego. Um, but maybe as Nazar was saying something about like how we envision this, like making this journey, <laughs> literal journey, like to a faraway unfamiliar place and being in this completely different environment made it possible to, um, to be open to that, to be open to that and accept it and take it on. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when I observe you both talking about it, I can see firstly how visceral and vivid this still is for you, you know, years on and how challenging it Mm. it was for you at that time, because it was challenging a lot of your foundations, a lot of the things you built a career on and built a, you know, a a whole skill set and ability on. And I don't know whether this is answerable, but I'm imagining, you know, if there are listeners who are not in the dance world, is it possible to bring to life? And in like in an example, what it is that somebody can tell you when you've been dancing for 20 years that feels revelatory in that moment. So we were, you know, we just came and showed our dancing and, and we were, this was in a lesson with William and he said, well, you know, you have some, your experience, you have some skills, but you're not actually transferring your weight fully from foot to foot. You're not fully on the foot. Yeah. I'm like, well, we're standing right in front of you yeah. on the foot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just kind of, it becomes like, what do you mean? I'm not on the foot. I spend my whole life to be on one foot, like <laughs> try to, to, to improve my dancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you think of like, 
what is the most fundamental thing you do as a dancer? It's probably like stand on your leg. And then we did it and he yeah. showed us and you're like, yes, okay, I that's what 100% is. Yeah, it's and like doing your work. It's like doing your job and not doing 100%. Yeah. So what's the point of doing your job? Yeah. Also the fact that it was so concrete was something that you can imagine in the dance world, um, that's not like the usual approach. There's a lot of metaphor and sort of hand-waving and... and um, mm -hmm. Yeah, descriptive language. Yeah, I mean, for me, one more thing to add up to it, that um, uh, for me, I, I had mentioned before that unlock moment, this is one of the unlock moments. For me, one more was that it's my unlock moment. It's also when I was diagnosed with diabetes. If I just put it there, just like, okay, I got diagnosed with diabetes, like, well, that's unlock moment. It, okay, I have to do something about that. Just don't give up and just continue doing more actually in my case and to show you know to show kids and adults or other athletes that they still can do it so almost there's a similarity between those two moments you're describing you know one when you're diagnosed with diabetes and two when you go to italy after 20 odd years of dancing and somebody tells you you don't know how to stand um, and in both of those situations your response could be to quit and say well, you know, that's it then. If I got diabetes or I don't know how to stand after 20 years of training, you could quit. Or you could go, I'm going to do something about that. Um, and, it, and it might be helpful with, with um, I'm hoping you're, you're happy to do this, um, bring to life a little bit what William's like as a person. Because I think, I think describing that just helps paint the picture of that experience of being in that studio you know, so what, what's he like as a, as a teacher, as a, as a coach? It's both of them, William and uh, his wife, Alessandra. What they're like a people. I mean, they are genuine people, mm. they're really genuine. They're really, um, I would say, down-to-earth people. You know, they, they're not going to give you some BS. They're going to tell you what it is, right, and how it is. And you, when you, right away, even though we had never, I remember also very clearly we never met them before yeah. we'd only watch videos of their dancing i remember having this sense that you you know them right away yeah you're almost like a immediately part of family yeah and it's I like it's like immediately like that kind of warm feeling right okay they just yeah it just they invite you to be yeah there's no facade there's no, yeah there's no no yeah and even how they were I think we even said this to each other. They're so themselves as dancers. I think that was what was very attractive to us too, is that when you then when we then met them, you almost had this feeling of like, oh, I know these people because who I who I saw in their performance really is who they are. Uh, or is, is obviously people are complex, but like that was very honest. It wasn't like you see someone perform and you meet them in person and you're like, wow, this is a totally different person. Yeah. Um, that was definitely a big part and something that also is like notable in maybe in performing arts in general. I think it's not easy to be a performing artist and also be totally in a way vulnerably yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, well, at the same time, yet they are, they quite tough, right. With their, with their, with their students, with their people, with their like, you know, uh, other couples and with us, but it doesn't feel like, well, you know, this like, like tough, but impossible to do it, mm -hmm. what they're asking you to do. Yes, yeah, demanding with a lot of 
very demanding and very supportive at the same time. So you're on this train journey back from the studio, furious. You mm-hmm. go back to back to the <laughs> hotel. And and what happened next in the journey? The very quickly we were like how do we, it took us six months to get here for three lessons. It's, we're in, we're not only in Italy, but we're in, we have to go to this small town 45 minutes out of, from the closest major city. How do we get here as much as possible? Mm. Um, yeah. And then started, first it started, okay, we should come here um, maybe every half a year, every eight months. Then it's changed to every half a year, four months. Now, now it's about uh, before the pandemic. We were like six times a year. Six times a year, so almost every every two months. There, almost yeah. Uh, yeah, it depends on the schedule because we we have to be in in Europe for the three major competitions which are happening in um, UK. in UK. So, and then we tried to combine the, those trips. That was at least three times, right? But then that was not enough. <laughs> yeah. Then. Actually, during the pandemic, we were like, at some point, we were like, oh, wow, we can just have lessons every week now. <laughs> yeah, because of the Zoom. On yes. Zoom. Yeah. 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 Because of was- Zoom. So, so this is really interesting. So you've traveled halfway around the world, mm-hmm. almost halfway around the world, into a little studio, and somebody's given you some feedback that you found maybe more challenging than any feedback you've got in another dancing lesson, that, that your initial reaction to was mm-hmm. anger. Not with them, but but with receiving that. And your response to that progressively over time was how can I go back and get more? Yeah, well this yeah, yeah I think it is a yeah. This is just so so, um, so why? That's <laughs> part of my I think it's part of my uh, I mean that's yeah, I was gonna say that's sort of another great parallel between when Nazar is diagnosed, which is like, oh, here's something incredibly difficult to deal with. How can I make this more difficult? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so you're, I'm hearing you lean into the challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you give me strong challenge, it doesn't mean that I'm going to give up. And the feedback they're giving you is different from the feedback you'd receive from other people? Uh, it's clear. As I said before, mm-hmm. it could be the same, but it's so much clearer and so much easier to understand, right? But the mm-hmm. other people could say the same the same thing other way, not as clear and coming like you know from around you and trying to explain to you with the with the you know super big words and I don't need big words. I need to say I, as I was said before, as I was told before in the first lesson. Well, you're not on your foot, so you're not 100 percent on your foot. Instead of giving me this you know elaborate uh, explanation how to be on my foot. Okay, simple. So the right message delivered in the right way for you yeah. that you connected with landed. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't a happy landing because it, there was, it was an honest truth. And, and what built that trust in them that meant that you started to shape your career around Italy and getting to Italy as, as often as possible? And how was, what, what was that shift for you? I think one part was that it was clear right away from the lessons, from how they were themselves, like just seeing them um, as teachers, as professional dancers, how they operated and also how the other couples in the studio were. It was very clear. All of that together painted a very clear picture of this is like another level. And, you know, 
subsequently we've we're more aware of this consciously but subconsciously i think we realize the more that we can just like be in that pool the more that we will be like that right that you have to sort of immerse yourself in an environment of excellence if you want to be excellent or that's the best way to do it um and we both have always wanted that to just be i think we just both are super attracted to that um just if that's out there like you know you want it <laughs> if it's possible to be that why would you not want to go after that life is short like what else are you going to do you know <laughs> and i'm hoping people listening to this conversation will tune into this thing that you're articulating which is a moment of clarity difficult clarity turned into a wider clarity about the bigger picture so what you were there to do um how you were going to do it what it was all about for you um and as you said just then the two of you are really clear on why you do what you do and 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 that sort of sense of emerging clarity coming out of that relationship as well yeah i think the the clarity was this sense of you know stories are neat in retrospect but obviously we we saw the product of their dancing of william and alessandra's dancing and both were like wow that's cool we want to do that you know just like kids see their heroes and they're like wow i want to be like michael jordan or whatever mm-hmm. but then to go there and be in their environment and be around them and see okay this is what made that that kind of clarity of you can see the end product but then you can see what went into that or what's behind that um and what in reality you know not from what people are stories people are telling or or hearsay just actually to physically experience it with all of your senses um and say okay this is what we wanted that we were drawn to that kind of dancing and this is the situation and the people that created that kind of dancing and that's now vivid it's just a reality now it's reality right Mm -hmm. it's easy yeah Mm -hmm. so something yeah like some kids could could as Mariko said, some kids could dream. Some kids could dream about um, some superheroes, and you know, and and you're going to be dreaming, 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 and never have a chance to, 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 to have the dream to come true, right? And at the same time, when you're dreaming of something about something, and that dream to come to come true, become true, then you're like, oh, then you're like in it, and you. It takes time to realize it. Oh, that's actually happened, <laughs> you know. And talk to me about impact. So you've 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 gone through this experience. You've reshaped your training model to be able to get out to Italy frequently to train with these coaches and to train with this group. What happened over the subsequent years in terms of your dancing and, and your competition results, and how did that change? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's is well. It changed quite as you had mentioned before. Uh, well, we we became we became um, two times uh, national champions, right? We were uh, silver, bronze, world medalist, uh, three times uh, world finalist in the show dance. Uh, uh, changed uh, people see how much we improved, how much we changed through those years. And people constantly telling us like, well, you, you improve even more, you improve even more because some, sometimes you can see couples, they stop improving. So that with us, I believe, and what we hear from other people, 
they see that we're constantly improving, right? Constantly, we our our like bar bars going higher and higher and higher. So, and ballroom dancing is is both a sport and an art, really, isn't it? And and so, you know, you're measuring your sporting performance by competition results. Do you think you've progressed as artists as well? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, a big time, a big time. Yeah, just I mean, it's sort of difficult to even like articulate. It's almost like we're just different people. Um, so the, if anything, one of the the outcomes was that we also then ended up making different decisions um, about, you know, even choosing to enter into the show dance category and then choosing later what other teachers to work with besides William and Alessandra and being more um, both, you know, with them, one of the things that they they do and explicitly said to us is that as teachers, they teach, they guide their students in everything. So it's very holistic. So, you know, that influenced who, of course, who else we wanted to work with, but then how do we work with those people? How do we approach our training? How do we think about, Mm -hmm. we changed how we thought about how we spend our practice time. We changed how we think about our physical training. We changed how we think about which competitions to do and how to spend our time and how to, spend our time off and how to like literally every single aspect yeah. of and what then, we do. As you said, also like we, we, we have a team of uh, teachers in England that we can now actually on also understand uh, and, and they can see how those yeah, I would say understand what the teachers, teachers tell you, but again, that's a team which which kind of, uh, how to say it? Uh, Organizes, integrates. Integrates together with them, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's super important that that there's, you know, in the any world, in the world world, in the dancing world, there's sort of infinite information. So if you don't have like a way to navigate that, then it doesn't help you that all of that information is out there. You have to apply it and organize it. And and um, that also is a big impact of, of working with them and having them be, um kind of central to to our team Mm -hmm. and has it changed your identity as dancers do you think i think in a very simple way you know at there it's nice to have just like a role model um where you can to start out with to sort of be like okay how does this person who has been in this longer and achieved things at a higher level just how do they operate how do they make decisions how do they how are they as a person um so it's nice to have, it's always, I think, valuable to have that model. Um, but the other thing that I think attracted us um, to going there in the first place was that they clear, even, you know, in their in their dancing, but also as people and how they did their career are people who kind of go against the grain, like the importance of doing what they did in the way that aligned with their values and, and what they wanted to create was always very clearly important to yeah them. of yeah for us i mean i think since we started dancing together we we were like you know <laughs> it's like a black sheep it's called like mm-hmm. totally different try to be different and it's our it's actually our i would say motto right whatever mm-hmm. it's what it is for that's like kind of we try to be different right and then i think they helped us to actually to 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 bring that even higher from us, like bringing more out of us, like, you know, because I want to be different. I don't want to be, I, I don't want to, 
I don't want to be as with particularly with ballroom dancing. You don't want to be the same. You don't want to be paste and copy of someone else. You want to be you want to be yourself. You want to be. I mean, my opinion, you want to be different. You don't want to be. You don't want to comply with the form. I would say. And, so the experience really reinforced yeah. your difference and, and helped you to embrace that as part of That's your right. identity. That's as, right. Yeah. For me. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, for, I think for me also. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when, you know, we talked at the beginning about your, your vision to support the community of ballroom dance nerds. There's something in that that's about people that are different from the norm a bit. Mm-hmm. And I know, Mariko, you and I have talked about this in, in the past, this idea of something that's very inclusive that you want to stand for. Uh, in in the future yeah with the um most of us i think yeah yeah, yes we we both have aspects of our of our lives or selves that makes us not easily fit into the the model of i or the stereotype of what it is to be a ballroom dancer and that's challenging yeah (laughs) it's challenging to experience and so of course you you know when you work through something that's not easy at least i think it's natural to then want to make the path easier for people who come after you. Mm -hmm. Um, And also because in a very selfish way, you want to be there to be more people like you, right? So with, you know, as you said, the beginning with being a person who came into this, like from a university team, that's that when I started, that was quite uncommon. Now there are more and more people doing that. And of course, that's cool for me to sort of be like, oh, look at these people who've had a similar path. It's nice. We share something in common and to want to encourage that. Um, and then, you know, for Nazar with diabetes, like there aren't yeah. a lot of people who, I'm not sure if we know of any people who, who have di- type one diabetes. No, I, I mean, the, remember that kids when he came into the studio? Yeah, there's, we know a couple of young, of young, yeah, young kids who, yeah, people who yeah. come in, yeah, to come in, you know, and the one, that's quick story that one, we had this, someone contacted us like mom of a kid and coming in and. Uh, for a lesson i'm like okay so uh, mom came came in with a kid and i see the 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 boys boys wearing like this um cgm like constant sugar monitor i'm like do you have diabetes and it's just kind of like a moment you know like almost again i felt like he's my he's my brother or something and i'm like they it's like it felt like different and i was so happy that actually you know he's dancing he's dancing and you know kind of like became like almost like yeah like really uh like almost made me choked up a little bit you know like the kid is dancing as well so you can see yeah it's a real moment isn't it when when you realize that you know maybe you're inspiring somebody to to go do something or to yeah. keep going and as you know as you say that it's too easy to stop it's too easy to stop and and you do see you know not so much in dancing but there are sports people, you know, in, in different, um, environments, you know, Steve Redgrave, the rower, you know, Olympic gold medal winning rower who was mm-hmm. diabetic. Um, and there's a famous, um, hundred meter sprinter who had a kidney transplant and then went and competed in the, in the Olympics yeah. again. Um, so, uh, you know, you do see it, but it, but it's unusual. Um, and for young people, same as representation, you know, you want young people to see people ahead of them that look like them. Um, so, so it's important. It's important. So, you know, you, you've had this experience coming through your career where something was in front of you that was almost impossible. You know, on the other side of the world, there's somebody 
there's a couple who can help us. But to to go from where we are with our sort of comfortable lives in on the east coast of the states to you know frequently traveling and 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 covering you know finding the money to to pay for all of that you know to advance our dance careers for our passion. What advice would you give to people um, who are looking at something and thinking it just feels too hard? Um, I would say my two kind of like mottos for myself are one is if you have an idea of doing something, just do it. Like just decide you're going to do it. There's even if you decide you're going to do it, there's still a chance that, you know, life happens and you can't. So like, just decide you're going to do it and, and go for it. Why not? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. just always when you find yourself in that place where you're like, should I do it or should I not do it? Just the answer is always do it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and the other thing for myself is that the fear, because when we say there's, there's things that are hard because it's difficult to figure out logistically how to do it. But I think oftentimes the bigger fear or the more, the bigger, um, challenge is actually fear that the worry about, well, is it going to work out or not? And the physiological fear that often stops you from working out the logistics and that that is to see that as actually a good sign that, Mm. that to relate to that sensation as actually something positive, not something negative. Um, those are the things that I, that's my advice to myself, basically. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> with this kind of thing yeah for me um <laughs> if you have that unlock moment just trust it and grab into it and just continue doing it right don't give up so at that point of challenge you need to lean into the challenge so when you look at you know we're, we're sitting here in early 2022 and you're you're looking at the year ahead what are the things coming up for you so tomorrow, um, we're we're doing a sh- we're actually doing like a feature length performance um, here in Boston at my ballet school, um, and <laughs> and it's celebrating our ten basically ten year anniversary, ten years of of dancing together. So that's the first thing that's coming up, we're preparing for the Blackpool Dance Festival, which was probably the most prestigious. Uh, international ballroom competition in the world and that's going to be in may so we're you know ramping up our training for that um Mm -hmm. and then we're preparing for the next world show dance championships which is which is still has to be determined uh when it's going to happen and where i mean hopefully you know everything's going to be okay in the world and we can do everything what we can do but yeah those are the major things what's happening right now we have this collection of of, you know, bronze and silver medals and a fourth place, and we need we need to complete the collection. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That's not- you're going you're going for the gold medal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Collect all the colors. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that would look beautiful on the wall. Yeah, it would be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and and for people that want to follow your journey, um, how how can they do that? The Easiest way is on Instagram. So our Instagram is Nazar and Mariko, and we post photos there and just like updates about what is what we're up to. Um, and then if you kind of want the more impersonal, in-depth uh, experience, or if you want to support us, we also have a Patreon, which is also Nazar and Mariko. And that's where we put kind of the 
the content that we don't necessarily share with the public, like the more heartfelt stories and the rehearsal videos and um, some kind of content before we put it out, before it's available sort of generally on the internet to the public. So those are the two best places, Instagram and Patreon. And in both cases, you can find us under Nazar and Mariko, N-A-Z-A-R-A-N-D. M-A-R-I-K-O. That's amazing. And, and, and I encourage people listening in to, to support Nazara Mariko on Patreon because uh, it's an expensive business traveling the world as ballroom dancers. And the prize money is is yeah. is very, very small. I, I, people are always amazed when I talk about how, what the prize money is in ballroom dancing is, is tiny numbers. Um, and they're traveling <laughs> the world and, and doing these amazing things to inspire young people. Um, the unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. Nazara Mariko have chosen to follow their passion for dance in a journey that has taken them around the world. Navigating the significant challenges in their way, they've shown commitment and drive to remain true to their vision, to achieve extraordinary goals and inspire others in the process. In doing so, they've demonstrated the extraordinary power of partnership over the course of a decade. Nazara Marika, thank you so much for sharing your story on the Unlock Moment. And I know you're such an inspiration to young people who are pursuing their dreams. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotas. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Join me again soon.